Let's um, slow our hearts down, prepare ourselves for teaching. So I'm going to pray. Father, um, still just ask that we would invite you in at deeper levels. Open up our doors to you at all areas of our life. Father, um, I pray that you give us eyes to see today, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, ears to hear, Father, and feet that will run with obedience. May your grace abound. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are still in the first chapter of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, you can thumb Galatians 1. But essentially what's happening here is Paul is addressing the church of Galatia, and he's saying, hey, look, um, you guys are allowing another gospel into your life that isn't actually the gospel. It's actually no gospel at all. And cursed be the person, cursed be the person, or cursed be the people who come in preaching Jesus plus anything else. So essentially that's the message that Paul is preaching, but essentially now the false prophets and people who are advocating for Jesus plus something else, they are running their campaign to demonize Paul and his teaching, right? So they're trying to say, you can't trust Paul because of this. Paul's never been a real teacher. Paul's never been educated by man. We haven't given him a certificate from our school. We haven't locally ordained him. So Paul, you can't trust because he doesn't have an ordination from man. So what Paul's doing is he is currently telling the church of Galatia why they should trust him, right? So Paul's authority was being questioned right off the cuff in the book of Galatians. This means everything that Jesus has done through him and for him was under attack. In his defense, Paul shares the message that he's preaching and where it came from. He, it didn't come from a school or a teacher, but it came from Jesus himself. That's what Paul is arguing. He's saying, look, this didn't come from um, this training center. This came from Jesus himself. So since the message came from Jesus, he's saying, it can be trusted. And the message of Jesus, Jesus was not works. It was not prosperity. It was not name it, claim it. It was not pick and choose. The message of Jesus is and was and will always be grace. Amen? And it was by grace that Paul was saved. Paul didn't become a Christian based upon his own doing. Paul became a believer based upon God's grace. You guys realize that? It was often understood by me that I became a Christian because of what I said and what I did, because I made the choice to follow him. Well, actually, the more you study and the more you realize, I became a Christian because of what he done for me, when he revealed himself to me, right? Nevertheless, Paul... Um, Paul became a Christian based upon God's grace. Paul was not searching for Jesus. He was actually an enemy of God. He was actively opposing who God was or who Jesus was and Christians, followers of the way. 
but he encountered grace, and he responded to Jesus. So Paul continues in the book of Galatians to share his story now. That's where we're at today. He's sharing with them to authenticate why they should trust his story, why they need to understand the real gospel. So what he's doing is he's saying, hey, look, um, here's, here's who I was before Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's what my life has been like since. Now, in the book of Acts, we actually shared that. Paul shares his testimony several times in the book of Acts. And every time he shares his testimony, what we see is his testimony is who he was before he met Jesus, how he met Jesus, and what his life has been like ever since. Those are three practical steps that you and I can take every time we meet someone and they ask us why we're a Christian. Who were you before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what has your life been like ever since? Three practical steps that you and I can take to encourage people in our relationship with Jesus. Amen? So who were you? How did you meet Jesus? And what has your life been like ever since? So we're going to look at Paul's life before he knew Jesus. Galatians 1, verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen for you. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So before Paul met Jesus, he needed grace. And we learned last week that Paul was extreme towards believers and even sought out to kill them, to separate kids from their family, and to destroy the way. See, Paul, he was a Jew, and not only was he a Jew, but he was the Jew of Jews. He tried to destroy Christians. He sought out to wreck their families, as I said, was trained by a high-ranking teacher, Gamaliel, and it's possible that he thought he was the modern-day Jewish hero. See, Paul was the Jew of Jews, Jews. Paul was someone that we would likely have written off today as him being too far gone. The things that Paul was doing, we would have said he is too far gone. Now, rhetorically speaking, how many people in your life or in leadership do you believe that are too far gone as well? See, the way that many of us think about politics, there's many politicians that we say they are too far gone. There's many political figures around the world, and there's many elite people in high places around the world that we have said they are too far gone. There are many people in high places that are actively seeking out to destroy the church and Christians and separate people from their families, and we have said they are too far gone. See, essentially within our hearts, though we never may voice it to another human being, we probably think that they are going to hell. Now, can anyone relate to me? Is there anyone in the political world or high places that you're, you're thinking to yourself, they are too far gone, participating church, raise your hand. Paul was one that we as believers would have likely thought was too far gone. See, there's this subliminal idea within all of our hearts that 
we're a little bit better than Paul was, or we're a little bit better than this political figure or that political figure. Now you hope as believers that sanctification takes place in your life and you begin to look more like the image of Christ than you once did before. Amen? But there's this idea that we deserve God's grace because we do a little bit better than this person or that person. And the fact of the matter is that is not the case. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the fact of the matter is God saved Paul and God can save that political figure or that high up elite or the boss that you hate or your neighbor that's annoying. There's a track coach from a certain school that's been with us several weeks. I've been walking away from that person. God even died for that person. I'm serious. Nevertheless, Paul was the person that we would have thought was too far gone. See, um, he was highly zealous, and Paul was convinced that he was doing the right thing. It wasn't as if Paul thought that he was doing the wrong thing. He was zealous. He believed what he was doing. He was a man that if he believed it, he said it, and if he believed it, he did it. Something you can actually um, commend him for doing. Nevertheless, he thought that he was doing the right things by seeking out believers of the way to kill him. Yet we see this type of attitude often. A person thinks that they are saved because of their sincere commitment to their faith. We're not saved because of a sincere commitment to our faith. We're saved because of the grace of God. Amen? So how many people do we see within the religious system that they think that because of their church attendance or their tithing or their good works, that because of their sincere belief that they're going to go to heaven? And there was a church that we served at um, in the past that actually each week would track the attendance of the members. And the members wanted to be tracked. So we had what we called the connection cards, and the connection cards sat in the back of the seats right in front of you. You'd come in, you'd fill out your name, and then if you wanted to give that week, you'd fill out your giving. You would then, after you write your name on the connection card and your kids' names and who was there, you'd take the connection card and you'd put it at or in one of the boxes at the back of the room, and then on Monday we'd come in, we'd take the connection card, and we'd say, oh, um... Randy Brown was here. Travis Spriggs was here. And we'd mark it in the computer. And then people wanted to know that, hey, I was at church 52 weeks this, this year. Gold star. So sincere faith or just going through the motions and being at church every week doesn't always make you sincere in your faith, right? And sometimes people who are sincere in their faith doesn't mean that they actually know Jesus. See, we can be sincere in many things that are not pointing to who Jesus is, are not pointing to the grace of God. Amen? And that's what was happening to Paul here. He was misguided in his belief. See, we can absolutely be consumed with religion and still miss Jesus. We can absolutely be consumed with religion. I remember there was a point in my life where... Um, 
you know, you just turn on K-Love and um, Air One, I was gonna say K, K1 or Air Love, right? You just turn on the, the radio because you're so religious about who you are that, <laughs> and you almost use it as like a, anyone ever use K-Love as like a protective mechanism over your car? Like, if I turn this on, man, I'm just gonna be blessed the whole day. Am I the only weirdo? All right. You know, it's hard for me to be uh, embarrassed, so I'll be the only weirdo. Another reason why you should pray for your pastor. And look, older generation, I've seen all those rabbit feet on your, on your um, rearview mirror, so at least I'm picking Christian radio. All right. So we go through all these religious actions, but just because we're going through these religious actions doesn't mean we know the person of Jesus. So Paul was misguided here, and he's sharing how he was misguided. He's sharing how he persecuted a church. So um, God's grace did something though, right? But God's grace saved Paul out of that. And if God's grace saved Paul, God's grace can save you. And if God's grace can save Paul, and if God's grace can save you, God's grace can save our communities, your children, their spouses, their kids, political leaders. See, contrary to the belief God desires that no one shall perish. Amen? No one. So these political figures, these high-up elites that we want justice for, we wish, we wish, we wish that they would get, I've never wished this on anyone, but I've seen a lot of people during this time say, I wish that they would die of sickness. I wish that they would die of this. Or if they were no longer here, life would be better. No, because the spirit of the Antichrist will just rise someone else up. Right? So the fact of the matter is, God desires that no one should perish. And if Paul can save, or if God can save Paul, God can save them. Amen? Because it's not about works, it's not about being good, it's about God's grace. See, um, Paul was in no mindset, he was in no mind frame no, um, no pursuit of God at this point. He was in no mood to even change his mind when he encountered Jesus, right? It wasn't like he was saying, I'm going to a revival so that I can get saved. He wasn't going to church on Sunday morning to meet this person of Jesus. He was still actively in pursuit of killing people of the way of destroying believers, of separating them from their families. He was actively doing that, which gives me hope. Because I just recognize the older I get you, you realize that you're growing spiritually, but you, the more you grow spiritually, the more I believe you realize your depravity, and you realize those doors that you've closed unintentionally and intentionally in your life, and you're just in no pursuit sometimes of getting them fixed. 
but God's grace can encounter you. And Paul was pointing to that. He's saying, I'm in no per- I was in no pursuit. I wasn't looking to be sanctified by Jesus at this point. I wasn't looking to personally know God. I was just doing life. See, he knew that he knew that he was doing the right thing, even though he was in no pursuit of changing his perspective. Yet only God can reach a person that is that far away from him. Only God's, cra- only God's grace could do something. Now, I've never done such things like Paul, yet I marvel at the fact that Jesus died for a sinner like me. Paul, a terrorist, now a minister of the gospel. Why? Because God's grace. We all need God's grace, amen? And I guess if we look at the theme of David and Bathsheba, David needed God's grace. So, Paul just mentions to those in Galatia, here's, here's who I used to be. But now he says, um, here's how I met Jesus. Verse 15. But when God... Oh, come on, somebody. We can stop right there, right? But when God, but when God, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased. But when God, as many of you or some of you saw on my Facebook page this week, I posted about the but gods, but when God. And when we look back at our life, how many times was life heading in a certain direction or my heart heading in a certain direction but God? But God showed up. See, Paul was in pursuit of wanting to kill and destroy more Christians, but God showed up. God showed up out of his grace, not out of Paul's good doing. And my prayer is that God would show up in all of our lives in a way that we never expected today. Just a miraculous encounter and experience that he just shows up and does something that I didn't deserve nor would I ever have chosen for myself. See, there's still this idea that that when we come in here and worship that if we raise our hands, maybe that grace will come. Or if we respond at the altar, that maybe that grace will come. Or maybe if we kneel in our seats, that maybe that grace will come. We feel like we can earn or coax him into making us cry or repent. Anyone ever feel like they can do that? Or am I just the crazy pastor again? We feel like if we pay it forward that we're pleasing him. And it's not that we're not pleasing him. And and it's not that us raising our hands is not pleasing him. Now, I do believe that we do receive God's grace when we're obedient. Amen? When God tells us to do something, I think that grace happens when we're obedient. But all of the time, and most of the time first, God's grace shows up by his doing and not ours. So Paul's letting the church of Galatia know here, but God shows up. So we see God at work in three different areas in Paul's transformation. The first area is Paul's transformation involved God's intervention. So after Paul lets us know about his lost condition in verses 13 and 14, he now shares that his life was invaded by grace. 
Paul uses one of the most encouraging phrases in Scripture, but when God. We see this throughout Scripture many times. Ephesians 2, if you want to turn there, if not on the screen, 3 through 5. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Amen. Amen. But because of God and his great love for us, because of God and his great love for you today, I don't want to advocate us continuing to choose sin, but I do advocate that we fall deeper in love with God because we understand it's all about him and not our own doing. Amen? Amen. Titus 3, 3 through 7. At one point, we were too foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Anyone think back to those seasons of your life? Anyone in one of those seasons right now? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of, washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might be heirs having the hope of eternal life. Amen? But when God shows up, how many of us need a but God this morning? I need a but God this morning. See, we must realize that the gospel is a rescue operation. Paul couldn't save himself. God had to intervene. The but had to come in. And no matter what you are stuck in today, addiction, heartache, relationship issues, job loss, lust, sickness, death, no matter what you are dealing with internally or externally, the grace of God has provided the but. Amen? Amen? So if I had an organ player up here, right? <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Just envision it with me, right? I'd say, without a but, you can't stand. Without a but, you can't walk. Without a but, you can't run. And without a but, you can't jump. Come on, right? We all need a but. So you're envisioning the piano with me, right? We all need a but. See, the but God had to come into our lives so we can spiritually run, so that we can spiritually walk, so that we can spiritually jump and stand and dance. Amen. Come on, somebody. 
I'm not even red in the face after that. I was picked on a lot while I was a kid. See, the but God is recognizing his intervention to lead us to repentance. God showed up in Paul's life, but God showed up in Paul's life to lead him to a place of understanding who he was in a deep way that led him to repentance and forsaking all else to love being with Jesus. God invades our life to make his goodness known because we were on our own path. You are here today. You are literally here today because God came to you. You are here today because God knocked on your door. You are here today because God intervened in your life. Yet while you and I were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. All transformation happens because of a but God, not because of what you have done. Amen? Amen. The other part of transformation that Paul is addressing is transformation starts with God's plan. Not your plan. Transformation starts with his plan. Verse 15 But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased. Now you see, we have the next part underlined. Who set me apart from my mother's womb. See, God had a plan for Paul's life before he was born. We see this idea in Jeremiah 1.5 as well. Many of you guys are familiar with the scripture, probably even have it memorized. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49.1, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Now, essentially what Paul is saying is, God had a plan for me before I was ever born. He set me apart. Right? So the setting apart is referenced in Ephesians 1. We're going to look at that real quick. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Amen. So, God has had a plan before we were ever born. God had a plan for you before you were ever born. God had us in mind before we were ever even here. Crazy to think about. So, his plan for us was to become his children through adoption by the power of his son's blood. That was the plan. See, he knew that we would be rebellious, so God had a plan. 
But some people get really scared when they hear the word predestined. How many people kind of get freaked out by the word predestined? None of you? You're kind of like, does that mean, does, does this term predestination or predestined mean that God, when he created everything, that he only chose a select few of people that are going to follow him and love him and go to heaven with him, and then other people he chose to go to hell and not experience eternal life? No. If that were the case, then the entirety of Scripture would be um, contradicting itself. God desired that no one shall perish, Amen. right? So he desires that all of us would be saved. But essentially, <clears throat> what Paul is pointing to here is this predestination is um, not God making us robots. It's actually him not predetermining if we go to heaven, heaven or hell. It's that he predetermined that through his son's blood that we would be able to walk as sons and daughters. Amen? So by that fact, he was choosing us to have that opportunity to be able to walk in a relationship with him. Now, we could spend half a year talking about predestination and um, certain things, but that's not where we're going today. What's actually being said here is similar to uh, probably what parents do, right? Parents, you understand this, but you understand when you have a kid on the way, that the kid's going to make mistakes. So essentially what you do is before you get the kid, you prepare their bedroom, you make sure that the um, cradle and everything that they're going to be involved with is safe. You make sure that the toys that they receive, they can't swallow. You go to Walmart and you cut the swimming foam noodles and you put them on your cabinets and on your doors and you make sure that they're not going to hit their heads, right? Any parent do that with any of their stuff? I can't say I'm the only one because I'm not a parent. So we did it for our dogs. <laughs> you come to my house, we got just noodles everywhere. Macy's actually said she did it for the dogs, but she did it for me. So what's essentially being said here is, Parents, you understand the future of your kid and that they're not going to know how to operate. They're going to put things in their mouth. They're going to knock their head on a few things. So as parents, you predetermine that you're going to create an environment by which they'll be safe. Right? So this predestination is that God has chosen us. He wants us. He desires us to walk in a relationship with him so that through that he realized that we're going to fall short and that we're going to sin and that the only way for something unholy to become holy is that he predetermined that he would send his son to die on the cross for you and I so that we can be sons and daughters. Amen? So predestination shouldn't scare us. God in his foreknowledge knew that we needed a savior. What is so neat to think about is how God called Paul before he was even born, right? Before Paul was even born, he was called. But God was so patient with him for years. Isn't that amazing to think about? God has a plan in your life. And as I shared earlier, don't wait till tomorrow to open up those doors because your garbage disposal might blow up. I had to go out and mow after that, and Macy's like, please don't go out there and die. <laughs> like, you've already had one of these days. 
We don't know what tomorrow holds, so don't, don't keep on thinking that in God's patience that we are guaranteed tomorrow because you and I are not guaranteed another breath. But it's amazing to me that God had a plan for Paul's life, and for many years of Paul's life, Paul was rebellious, doing the exact opposite of what he was called and created to do, bring honor and glory through obedience and praise to God in everything that he did. So he rebelled from that for years. But God was patient with him. 1 Timothy 1.16 But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus maybe might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The immense patience that God showed Paul. God is patient with us, amen? Transformation starts with God's grace, and his plan is that none shall perish. And he's, pa he's patient with your kids today. God's grace has not given up on your kids today, amen? God's grace has not given up on your neighbors or your parents or your spouse or your friends or our, the elite in the world. God's grace has not given up on those in prison. He's extremely patient. And I don't dare point a finger at someone else because he or I deserve exactly what they deserve, and that's hell. Nevertheless, transformation starts with God's grace. Transformation involves seeing God's glory. It could also be said transformation involves Christ being revealed in us. Verse 15 again, but when God, who sets me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, now our underline, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So, was pleased to reveal his son in me. We can't miss this. Jesus wasn't revealed to Paul, right? Paul had heard the gospel and knew about the way. Jesus was revealed in Paul, what the scripture's saying. The reality of the fullness of Jesus was made known in Paul. It wasn't revealed to. It wasn't just sitting here in church and the message of the gospel revealed to you as a church. Because how many times have you come to church and you're like, boring message, boring message. I've heard this, I've heard this, boring, 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 boring. And then one day it gets you. See, like one day the scriptures are revealed in you and you had no clue why it was re revealed in you, why you heard it differently. It wasn't because you tried to listen better. God was doing something that day. What was happening here is it wasn't just the gospel preached to him, it was revealed in him. There was this deep understanding of the reality of who Jesus was. God finds it in his pleasure to reveal his son to you and I. By the Holy Spirit, God reveals the reality of Jesus to us, and we need the reality of who Jesus is in our life. Similarly to what uh, is being said in 2 Corinthians 4. 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So made his light shine in our hearts. Something was revealed in them, right? A deeper understanding. Apart from Christ in us, we are blinded just like the world and cannot see. See, I believe it was 2009, 2010. I came to church. Part of my story, right? Came to church most of my life. Listen to messages. Some were good. Some made me emotional. Some I cried. Some I felt like doom and gloom, hellfire and brimstone. There were all these emotions, right? He's speaking to me today. Why would he speak on that boring, good message, good message, whatever? You know, like, oh, praise God. And then, you know, back in the day, we used to have these trains that would run up and down the aisle. And then you'd feel embarrassed, but you'd get drugged into the, we're free to run. I promise you, every time we used to sing that song like 15 years ago, we had a train going up and down the aisles. Can I get a witness? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the trains. God bless you. I just don't prefer them. <laughs> um, I never liked the snowball dances either. You have to go dance with Betty, who you don't even like. Snowball, I just don't like the attention like that. He made his light shine in us, in our hearts, to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory. So I came to church my whole life. But it wasn't until 2009 when there was just this, it wasn't Christ being revealed to me, it was Christ being revealed in me. There was this deep, deep, deep understanding of who Jesus was, not only for me, but for the world. My life has never been the same since that point. Like, the creator of the universe, like there was this deep understanding, not by words, but by reality of it being revealed in me. The creator of the universe is not only real, but he loves me. And not only does he love, love me, he has a purpose for me that even though I'm a still sinner, he still loves me and he wants to commission me to do things for him. What in the world is this? It was revealed in me. And, I never, and I've never seen life the same way. So what Paul is saying is, look, Jesus wasn't revealed to me. He was revealed in me. And part of our transformation is a piece of us seeing God's glory, Christ being revealed in us. Likewise, our transformation happens when we are born again and Christ is revealed in us. We need Christ to be revealed in us so that we see with new eyes, we hear with new ears. Our hearts beat with a new purpose. Our feet run with new purpose. Our arms work for God's glory. As we continue in the scripture, Paul addresses who he was, right? How he met Christ, and now what his life was like after he met him. Verse 17. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, um, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I am writing you, or sorry, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went into Syria and Sicily. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They are only hurt. They only heard the report. The man who formerly or formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So Paul's life completely changed after meeting Jesus. He's also trying to share with them and further the point here, like, look, I wasn't trained by anyone else. I wasn't trained by the disciples. The gospel that I'm preaching came from Jesus himself. So he's generally making that point. But he's also saying, hey, look, um, my life has completely changed. One author says it this way. His point in all of this was to demonstrate that his ministry as an apostle was not a product of man. Not even the other apostles. He's not part of a vast conspiracy to deliver a lie to the churches in Galatia. He was not an apostle wannabe that left Jerusalem for better prospects. He was an apostle before meeting Peter and James. So his authority did not extend from those entities. Paul was a man called, trained, and commissioned directly by God. Now, some of you, um, not to speak about myself, but I think maybe Mark and Stu, uh, certainly my family could talk about the transformation that they saw in my life from the moment that Christ was in me versus Christ being preached to me. It was, you know, I encountered Christ, and it was like after that season, everything changed. It wasn't that I was trained in ministry, uh, ministry opportunities, and um, I never met the qualifications to receive the job that I received. So initially, the job that I received, they were looking for a youth uh, pastor, And on their resume, they needed five years' experience. They needed a college education, bachelor's degree, and um, several other qualifications that had to be met. Well, being that it was a bigger church, they had the resources to search um, thousands of people across the U.S. And um, the guy who interviewed me, he said, um, and it came out of nowhere, too. I never applied for the position. They came to me, and they said, we feel like you're supposed to be our youth pastor. And um, they said, here's all the qualifications that we need, and you meet none of them but God. But God. And then they said, we interviewed, um, you know, we've talked to over 100 people across the U.S. We've interviewed several locally. Don't feel like any of them are. We feel like you are. And that all happened because of the but God, right? And what Paul is saying, I wasn't trained by man. So I didn't go to seminary. I didn't even have a college education at that point. I didn't have five years experiencing in the church. All of this happened overnight for me. I encountered who Christ was in me here, and my life changed forever. And then after that, I began to see the world and people differently. 
begin, begin to feel empathy and a broken heart for those who may go to hell and for those who are sick and need money. And that empathy and what Christ was doing in me started to direct my steps. So it wasn't about just going to Starbucks to get my coffee. It was I'm going into Starbucks, and when people break my heart, then you go talk to them, and you show love to them. That's all that I had was Jesus. But what ended up happening then is um, I couldn't go to the place that wanted to hire me and say, I have 10 years' experience. I wasn't trained by anyone. I met with Pastor Lyndon um, for discipleship for 10 weeks, and that was about it, other than sitting in church. So Paul is just saying, look, I wasn't, the message I'm preaching came from Christ himself. Paul ends by emphasizing that his past um, as a persecutor of the church and as a man saved by Christ and trained by God was part of God's plan to bring glory to his name. So everything that Paul had been through was able to bring glory to God's name. Everything that you've been through can be a part of God's plan to bring glory to God's, God's plan. Amen? No matter what you did in college, no matter what you did in high school, no matter what you did yesterday, Jesus has redeemed it. We don't need to run from our past. A lot of people say, I wish I could forget my past and then I'd be a better Christian. And that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. If I forget what it felt like to betray God, I'd do it again. See, that feeling of betrayal that I know that I betrayed someone that I love that keeps me from desiring to do it again. So thank God that you still feel. Now look, if you start feeling condemned and you're just beating yourself up and isolating yourself in a dark room and never leaving, that's from the enemy. But me remembering how much I hated sinning and breaking the heart of God keeps me from wanting to do it again. Amen? So God wants to redeem all of our pasts. God has redeemed all of our pasts. God is using that for his glory. And Paul and God was using that in Paul's life right here. So the miraculous nature of his turnaround was a part of the storyline. Consider the encouragement it must have been to a young and persecuted church to hear that a man who previously killed them and persecuted them is now an apostle of Christ. How encouraging would that be? Think about those people that you hate right now, that you wish um, would just be done with leadership. Imagine if Christ's grace would invade their life and they began to change uh, or preach Jesus to the world. See, and that's why we shouldn't speak curses over their life. That's why we should speak grace and mercy and truth and pray for them. Amen? The only hope we have is not to speak life in, look, you can call a spade a spade if you see a spade. But let's pray for these people so that they would encounter God's grace. So it was encouraging to the church, I'm sure. Moreover, he did not arrive at the place because he was threat threatened or because other men persuaded him. From the beginning to the end, the entire process came at the hand of God and by his grace. So the message to the church was really clear. If God can act in this way to convert a man like Paul and put him to use for the sake of the gospel, then the church is in good hands. 
men could understand that Jesus was caring for his church. And Paul was making clear that his role was one, his role was one that God authored, God directed, and God instructed. Amen? As Paul moved into ministry in this way, he soon found himself correcting even the other apostles to ensure that they were all teaching and preaching the gospel accurately. And the gospel of Jesus is grace and grace alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray today that your grace would invade our lives as individuals, our families, our kids, their kids and their kids. Father, our parents and our grandparents, our neighbors, our communities. Father, I pray that your grace would just abound right now, that we would have such an encounter with you that we would not just have Jesus preached to us, but we would know Jesus in us. I pray that your grace would allow us to know you in us at a greater level this week. Father, through the random radio station, through the teaching, through the community group, through grief share, Father, uh, through just being at home cooking and um, testing the limits of your uh, tools, may your grace abound in our lives to help us know you in us. Father, may we walk out of here encouraged knowing that our past is our past and that you love us and you died for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.